Y'all help me preach it tonight. Don't be too quiet on me. All right. So, Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name and through his blood. Lord, we thank you for this time of getting into the word of the Lord. Lord, I ask you that you would anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken, Lord. It will be clear. It will be precise. Lord, I pray that even now that your Holy Spirit is moving upon every single person that's going to be hearing this to help us to get locked in and focused, to give you our best ear, our full attention, our minds are focused on what God is saying, focus on the word. Lord, that you would touch our minds, touch our hearts, that we will be good, fertile soil for the word of God. Jesus said it's the seed and the sower, that our hearts and minds, our lives, our families are good, fertile soil. And Lord, that the word of God will go out as living seeds of truth, sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, watered by uh, the outpouring of the Spirit of God, and will take root and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, I pray that this will go out like a mighty hammer. It's going to break through every stronghold, every deception, everything of the enemy. It's going to be able to penetrate into people's hearts and minds, into their families, into, into churches, into this region, into this nation. It's going to be able to pierce through. Lord, let your word be like the washing of the water of the word. Let it be a bright, shining light that dispels. It's going to penetrate and dispel all the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy and bring truth and revelation. Lord, that you come upon me and speak through me in glory and power and strong anointing. It's going to be powerful, effective, and fruitful. And Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for this time. We bless you in Jesus' mighty name. All right. So you guys do me a favor tonight and really give me your best ear, your focus. Don't let any distractions come up at all. Let's, as little moving around as possible. And um, I feel this is a very important word. And when Brother Benny Baker was with us, one of the things he said to my wife was he felt that she was going to have something to do with shifting like a culture. And I believe tonight's sermon has a lot to do with that because the culture in this nation that is so rebellious and so against God-ordained authority and so as I speak on this tonight, I believe this is something where God really uses my wife and I to help bring some revelation about this, okay? So I'm going to talk about Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12. It says, and though a man might prevail against him who is alone, it says two will withstand him and a threefold cord is not easily broken. So two coming in agreement y'all give me your best ear tonight this is so important what we're talking about when we stand alone it's hard but when two come into agreement they can withstand and a threefold cord is not quickly broken and so there's something about where there's unity is everybody seeing that and then where there's order where things are under authority and I'm just going to tell you that I believe with all my heart what I'm saying is 100% true, and there's no exaggeration at all. America, there's been so much deep-seated rebellion for so long in this culture that even just normal authority now is seen as oppressive and almost completely rejected in every realm of society. But the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, 23, here's what God thinks about rebellion. God says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he rejected you from being king. He was talking about Saul. 
Saul was rebellious. For you to have authority, you've got to be under authority, okay? So I want y'all to give me your best here tonight. This is important. I want y'all to hear this. Because in the days to come, I believe that it's going to be extremely important that River of Life is able to really be freed up from some warfare that would try to come. But when you're properly under authority and you understand authority, there's great protection, okay? So the first thing I want to talk about is this, honoring the fathers. So let me read Ephesians 5, starting at verse, or chap, I'm sorry, verse 22. It says, wives be subject or submitted to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so that's a strong commandment. And the word there to be submitted is a word that implies that they're willing to do so. But how many knows, especially in the culture we live, that not every woman is willing. So you really, you guys that are single, you really need to pray about the right person. Because if you, your home's out of order and in rebellion, let me just say it's wide open for the demonic. There's not, not going to be a hindrance to the enemy at all. All right, then it says, um, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. For himself being the savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. And so you're seeing there that godly order in the marriage. And then it says to the husband, it says, being the spiritual leader, look at this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Christ was willing to lay down his life to serve. So there's an aspect of being a strong spiritual leader. You're rising up, you're taking authority, you're doing what you're supposed to do, but there's a, an aspect of that to where you love people and it's willingly laying down your life to serve them and help them. But look at this, he said, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. So it's our responsibility as husbands to see our families washed in the water of the word taught the word praying with them being spiritual leaders being like a priestly role that he might present to himself a church in all of her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing so helping the family to be purified from all those spots and wrinkles that try to come in but that she would be holy and blameless so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his, his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of one body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, the two become one flesh. This is a mystery, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband showing proper respect and being submissive so you see there there's got to be an order and a unity you know my wife one time had a dream she was telling me about or maybe a vision i don't remember but she was seeing in this that we were her and i were coming under some spiritual warfare and in this dream she said that she had to we had to be back to back where she was up against me her back against my back because there were things that she was taking care of behind me that I couldn't see. But she had like a sword and she was fighting it off. And then I was fighting off what was in front of me. But we had to be working together. 
There has to be a unity. I mean, you know, sometimes husband and wives need to be doing that, but they're using the sword on each other. <laughs> All right, and then it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now here, the word, I studied this out years ago. It's in some of our writings, but um, children, obey your parents. The word obedience there implies forced obedience. So the one for wives to be submissive is it implies in the Greek that she's supposed to be willing to do this. <laughs> but the children here, it says they are to obey. It implies like a forced obedience or there's going to be discipline. And so when you train up your children in that way and you raise them in a way where there's, there's good discipline, then they're going to have a healthy fear of God when they grow up. But when they're allowed to sass parents and smart mouth them and be rebellious, there's not going to be a fear of God when they get older, and there won't be a fear for any authority. And pretty much you, and I'm trying to say this as nice as I can, but you may have very well ruined their life because they're going to have a lot of problems. Um, but anyway, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Now, this is what I wanted to get to, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. So you see here, right after this, it goes into Paul's famous teaching on spiritual warfare. He starts talking about principalities and powers. He starts talking about the armor of God. And you've got to understand the whole concept. I don't want to rabbit you too much, but the Ephesian church was a church that was born in the fires of revival. This was a major move of God. You can read about it in Acts chapter 19, but this was a major move of God. I mean, there was a lot of people turning from witchcraft and there were so many people turning from the dark arts that they had to have a bonfire and burned a lot of paraphernalia that was quite expensive. People were getting saved to the degree that it said that whole region heard the gospel. It was a powerful, mighty move of God. Out of the fires of revival was birthed the Ephesian church. And so Paul feels as their spiritual father, he needs to write them this letter. But he says, before I talk to you about spiritual warfare, which you no doubt are going to face because you're a revival church, he says, I better help you understand that there better be order and unity in your home or you're going to get slapped around by the enemy. Y'all hearing me? But I love this about honoring the father and the mother that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And one of the things I thought about as I was preparing this sermon, because I'm going to cover some different things, but uh, I'm kind of glad she had to step out for a minute. I didn't want to embarrass Brianna, but the truth is that I can publicly honor Brianna because of the way she's always been toward me. Brianna's always honored me and her mother. And that's why I believe personally is why Brianna things are going well for her in life and the Bible says she'll have a long life and have a healthy life she's going to be blessed but things go well with her because she's so honoring toward her parents and I think about even here recently you know she's grown now married has a child but she called me here recently asking my advice about something financially you know and I told her she took the advice. That's what she always did. She always just really received well, honoring. And because of that, now the finances are, that she was talking to me about have improved and things are good. But you know, I'm 43 years old, 
And I'm so thankful to still have my parents here with me. Y'all don't know how much I thank God for that. But I still run stuff by my dad as much as I can. I ask him all the time, what do you think about this? Why? Because I respect him. I honor him. And he's been around a while. Not calling you old, just making a statement. <laughs> and he, he's very wise. And I, how many knows the book of Proverbs says that there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel? I still run things as much as I can by my spiritual fathers. I ask advice. I talk to them about things. What do you think about this? I, it's interesting because a lot of times they have to ask me because I don't want to say much while they're talking. They probably think, well, why isn't he saying more? I'll tell you why, because I don't got anything to say. I want to hear what you have to say. You're the father in the relationship, or you're the one that has so much wisdom. And I sit there and really listen to what they say. But if you honor your parents, so I, one of the things I love, this is a principle, but I believe one of the reasons, it's not the only, one of the reasons why the Brownsville revival had such longevity and such efficacy. I mean, it was a powerful move of God, guys, trust me. The reason why it was like that was because I remember night after night, Steve Hill publicly all the time would honor the fathers of revival. Those that followed the revival at all, how many times have you heard him talk about William Seymour this, Evan Roberts this, the great revivals of this, the father? He was always honoring. He was honoring the fathers and it caused a blessing to come on that revival where things went well for it and it had longevity. You see? There's a spiritual principle. And so there's something about us coming together in unity and there being order that is so powerful, I'm going to talk about. But in our culture, I'm going to talk about Reuben before I move off this, but in our culture in America, I'm very concerned in this area because rebellion has become very widespread and pervasive in our nation to the degree that it's infiltrated every realm. And for you and I to really be submitted to authority and honor authority and honor parents and etc., honor God-ordained authority, you're really going to have to go against the flow in this nation. So I'm saying that because this goes out to a lot of other people that aren't here tonight. But you're really going to go against the flow. Now let me tell you something a lot of people maybe have never studied out before I get to the next point. But those that have read the Bible or been in church for very long have probably noticed that you never really hear about the great exploits of the Reubenites in the Bible. You ever heard about anything great about Reuben? Did you know Reuben was Jacob's firstborn? Reuben was the one that should have inherited everything. He should have been, you know, it ended up falling, the priestly role ended up falling to Levi. But why wasn't it on Reuben? And then the kingly role ended up falling on Judah, but why wasn't it on Reuben? It all went back to this. Reuben dishonored his father. In particular, he slept with Bilhah, um, one of his concubines, if you will. But he dishonored his father. And because of that, Jacob said that the blessings will pass you by and land on your brothers. And basically what happened was that even all these years later, it not only passed Reuben by, but uh, during Jacob's day, but this came up like 400 years later when Moses said basically the same thing. He said, Reuben is, it's, 
it's not going to be something that you're this great tribe. He said, you're just going to kind of assimilate into Israel. And that's exactly what happened. It's like the tribe of Reuben, Reuben just kind of just assimilated, and you never hear about any great exploits at all. Isn't that sad? Because he was the firstborn. Isn't it interesting that many times um, you can see that this is in the word of God where it seemed like the one that God wanted to use. And I'm going to get to that here in a moment with Jacob and Esau. But it all went back to this one principle. Reuben dishonored his father, lost everything. But if you honor the fathers and mothers of the faith, there's such a blessing on that. It carries a lot of weight with God. All right. So let me talk for a moment about this because I'm dealing with something I believe is a real stronghold in our nation. And the next thing I want to talk about is this, an overcomer. But I'm going to deal with pride. How many of you guys want to be an overcomer? Now, I'm, here in a moment, I'm going to talk about um, Jacob and Esau. But Esau had to become an, I mean, Jacob had to be an overcomer. And I'll explain why that was the way that it was because he had so much to going against him. But here's the thing about pride. See, the reason why a lot of times people don't honor their parents and they're not submissive to authority, it's rooted in pride. Whenever people are truly, truly humble from their heart and it's real, they will tend to be very honoring of others, honoring of authority. So it's not just honoring parents, but on, being uh, in a good, healthy way, honoring authority. And things have gotten so bad in America, I'm very concerned about this because to the degree that, what was it, this year or maybe last year, I don't remember, but all of a sudden it comes out this thing about toxic male authority. I mean, it's so stupid. What it is is that there's been so much pride and rebellion, it's opened the door for a Jezebel spirit to be enthroned. And this all goes back to Jezebel. Jezebel hates male authority. Now think about this for a moment, how bad this is. Just about every TV show that there is will portray as normal the wife runs the family and the husband is an idiot. And the kids do whatever they want. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Rebellion has worked its way through. Derek Prince said this many years ago. He said, I believe the strongman over America is rebellion. He said it goes back to the Revolutionary War when America rebelled against Britain, but it was never dealt with properly. And so a spirit of rebellion came in. I believe he's 100% right. But rebellion has worked its way in like a leaven in the dough, if you will. Even in schools, let's go through different realms of society. When you look at schools, what do you see? A lot of rebellion against teachers, rebellion against principals. Even now, you wonder why is it that there's so much rebellion against this current administration because you have a strong male authority figure that's not going to put up with anything, you know. And so Jezebel hates that. Oh, man. So let me give you some things. It's rooted in pride. But Proverbs, let me give you some things about pride. Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. 
Did you know God gives wisdom to the humble? But with pride will come dishonor. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low. But a humble spirit will obtain honor. A man's pride will bring him low. But a humble spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. Let me tell you, pride is a serious sin, and it does cause a lot of destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. The people that fall continually see destruction. A lot of times behind the scenes is pride, which gives the way to spirits like a Leviathan. Psalms 138, verse 6 for though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly or the humble. But the haughty he knows from afar. Some people probably think, why does it seem like God's so far away? Well, the first thing the Bible says to do in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if we will humble ourselves and pray. Humility, it brings the nearness of God. Pride causes God to to be afar. James 4, 6, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We need God's grace. Let me explain grace for a moment because it's being abused and misused. Grace is God's favor. It empowers so once what people are using the word grace as they're misusing it as mercy let me explain this see when we're in sin we live as sinners in sin we're on our way to hell and we deserve judgment and wrath but god so loved the world he sent his son and when people really look to jesus then their sins can be forgiven and they can obtain mercy instead of wrath is this making sense? Once you come into a covenant relationship with the Lord, the Bible says by grace that you're saved through faith, all of a sudden you come into that relationship, God's grace is there. And God's grace empowers us to overcome things, to overcome sin, to be victorious. It is not a license to sin. It is an empowerment to overcome sin. See, when you're humble... God will help you. He'll give you the grace that things that used to really have you bound up and struggle, that you'll overcome them, which is what I want to get to about being an overcomer. So let's look at two people. If you guys ever seen this, those that have been in church very long at all, you'll see that there's people that grew up in church and they all had the same church same pastor, same situation. They heard the same word preached. They had the same move of the Holy Spirit. Good parents, etc., whatever it is. But yet some of them choose to be rebellious and really fall away while others go after God. Well, that's the case with Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau, Esau was born first. So again, just like Reuben, Esau had all the advantage. 
But yet Esau couldn't care less about God, couldn't care less about the people of God, couldn't care less about the things of God. He didn't care at all. It was all handed to him on a silver platter. Esau being the firstborn, I mean, think about this, the grandson of Abraham. What a heritage. The guy that God looked all over the earth and said, I choose you. I'm going to come down and make a blood covenant with you. Make a nation out of you. That guy, that's his granddad. But Esau didn't care. Here's what Esau was about. If you read the story, go back and reread it. Esau was caught up with the world. He lived, you know, the, their family lived in Canaan, but Esau was always going after the Canaanite way of life. He chose Canaanite wives. Why in the world did Esau, the grandson of Abraham, the one that, that was that was the firstborn, so he should have carried on things. He should have known that it was supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He was supposed to have like a godly bloodline, but he wanted to defile that bloodline by marrying these Canaanite worldly women because he didn't care. He built stone houses like the Canaanites. He was always wanting to hang out with the heathen those were his friends instead of hanging out with God's people he wanted to hang out with the wicked he couldn't be content spending time with God's people he wanted to hang out with those Canaanites and he built the houses like they did he wanted to be like them he intermarried with them Jacob on the other hand was the exact opposite Jacob was a righteous man Jacob loved God he loved the things of God he had a heart for God even though Jacob was not the firstborn Jacob would hang around God's people he wanted to learn the ways of God the things of God he had a heart for God to the degree that he was pursuing it that's why when Esau came in, Jacob said, uh, look, I'll give you this food if you'll give me your birthright because Jacob knew that Esau couldn't care less about it. Oh, y'all hear what I'm saying? Jacob knew his brother and he knew that he was a wicked man. And he knew that Esau did not care at all about that birthright and that he was willing to sell out God for a bowl of soup. He knew he was. And it probably angered Jacob because Jacob was thinking, if I was firstborn and that was mine, I would cherish it. And so the opportunity came where he, you know, had this student and his brother comes in and says, give me some of that or I'll die. And he says, well, look, give me the birthright. And Esau said, you can have it. He just threw it away for a bowl of soup. But Jacob was pursuing this. His mother, Rebecca, had had a prophetic word from the Lord when they were still in her womb. And she said, the older will serve the younger. And so she knew that God's hand was on Jacob. But in that culture, that was taboo. And so Isaac didn't accept that. But then the time came where Jacob, Jacob's mother pushed the issue and told him to go in and get the blessing. Jacob wanted the blessing, but he didn't want to deceive his father. But Rebekah told him, if you get in trouble, it'll be on me. You need to go do it. So he obeyed his mom 
but Jacob pursued it. And it ended up being that Jacob received all the blessings. And what did Jacob do? He honored his parents and he went to Padanaram to marry a righteous woman. Esau didn't care anything about it. He didn't care about a godly wife, a godly bloodline, a godly heritage. He was just totally selfish, only cared about himself. But Jacob loved God. And Jacob went there because he wanted to honor his parents and he met this godly woman, Rachel, and he ended up marrying Rachel and Leah. But God's hand was mightily upon Jacob and from Jacob came the 12 tribes of Israel. And there came a time when Jacob wrestled God. Do you remember that? And God, uh, the angel of the Lord, which might have been a pre-incarnate Christ, you know, it's debatable, whatever. But Jacob was wrestling this angel. And the angel touched his hip. It goes out of socket. And Jacob would not give up. See, this was the thing about Jacob. He was an overcomer. He loved God. He loved the things of God. He loved the ways of God. He loved the people of God. While his brother was off whoring with the Canaanites, he was there with God's people. You hear what I'm saying? While his brother was trying to be like the world and be a heathen, he was over here helping to build up the tents and take care of the people of God. While his brother was, was whoring off and, and marrying Canaanite women, he was over there, you know, trying to learn about the Lord and the ways of God. But Jacob wrestled that angel because he was somebody that was persevering. And it came to the point to where he would not give up. And God finally said to him, I'm going to change your name from Yaakov, which means a heel grabber, to Israel, which basically means an overcomer. It's a play on Hebrew word. Um, there's an S-A-R in there, which means prince and L of God. But God honored him with that name change. And let me rabbit trail for a moment and just say that names are important. Pray about what you name your kids. And pray about what you name things because it carries weight. But God changed his name from Yaakov, like deceiver, heel grabber, to overcomer. One who would prevail. And in the Hebrew, it's like prince of God. So, anyway, you see Jacob's heart to prevail. To persevere both of these siblings were born at the same time same situation same parents same heritage same everything but Esau was just <laughs> nobody knows what really was going on in him but he just didn't love God and didn't love the things of God and so the sad end of Esau is this he became the father of the Edomites which were a wicked people, and they were an enemy to God and his purposes. That's Esau's legacy. But Jacob's legacy was that he fathered the 12 tribes of Israel. Isn't that awesome? And out of Jacob came the Levites, the sons of Aaron, who would stand before the very holy presence of God Almighty in the earth. Out of Jacob came the tribe of Judah from which Jesus Christ came another person that had everything laid out before them but could not care less about God was Samson and this is a sad story same thing Samson was born 
in a supernatural way. And Samson had everything set before him. He had every opportunity. From the time he was born, he was a Nazarite. I don't have time to teach on the Nazarite vow, but that's why he was to abstain from anything to do with the grape. Um, he wasn't supposed to be around dead bodies, and he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. That's why he had long hair. But Samson probably, by all accounts, was just an average guy. They always in the movies portraying to be like a bodybuilder, you know, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger guy. Nah, he was just an average guy. But that was what was so supernatural about it that Mr. Average over here, the Spirit of God would come upon him and he would beat up a thousand guys. But Samson was a Nazarite and he was anointed by God from birth. Samson was called to be a great deliverer of Israel and a judge. So in other words, he would have been kind of like a king of sorts. This was before there were kings, but he was the judge. You know as well as I do that he could have had his pick of any wife in all of the nation of Israel. But Samson didn't care about God, didn't care about the things of God, didn't care about anything to do with his bloodline being pure, didn't care, only cared about himself. Samson did not give, he didn't care at all about the Nazarite vow. And so what do you read about him doing? He's getting around partying with the Philistines. Instead of hanging around the priesthood and learning the ways of God, he's over here partying, living in sin with the wicked. He wants to hang around the wicked and be like the wicked and be accepted by the wicked and be friends with the wicked. No doubt Samson in all of that drank from the grape the fruit of the vine and defiled himself because he was supposed to be a Nazarite later you read about him touching dead bodies where um, you know there's multiple occasions but and then also in the very end of things what's what's Samson doing he's trying to marry a Philistine she ends up dying he gets ticked off he goes after the Philistine starts killing people but he ends up in the lap of Delilah you see, he could not serve God and love God and love the things of God. He had a wicked heart, and he was always whoring after being accepted by the world, being worldly, having worldly friends. He wanted to be around worldly women. He want, and the Bible says he wanted that strange flesh. He was talking about wicked women. Well, because of that, Samson literally lost everything, just like Esau. He lost everything. God's hand was upon him from birth. How many people today would have loved to have been born in that type of situation where an angel came down to your parents and said, this is a special child. He's to be raised different than the world because my hand is upon him. He had such a godly heritage, but he couldn't care less about it. It was just totally flippant to him. Well, he ends up in 100% bondage to the enemy. His eyes were gouged out. He was made to be a complete fool and an idiot. And the only thing he would do would be to stand out there so the enemy could laugh at him and mock him and then throw him back in the dungeon. That was his legacy. Where he could have been a great prince in Israel. He could have been somebody that married a godly woman, had a godly heritage, a godly bloodline could have been honored we read about him and all of us are disappointed because of how he turned out 
So again, pride leads to these things. Samson couldn't be humble and he couldn't be under authority. His parents told him, Samson, quit going out among the Philistines. Be here with God's people. Quit trying to go find an, a heathen wife. Find a godly, virtuous woman. He never listened. What, what was the scripture I read at the beginning? Rebellion is as witchcraft and being stubborn is idolatry. Stubbornness. Won't listen to nobody. And let me close with this. The importance of being under a covering. 1 Corinthians 11 is kind of a strange read unless you understand the culture. In that culture, women would cover their head. You guys see this now with Middle Eastern culture. You see women with head coverings. So that's what was going on. And Paul was using that as an illustration to explain spiritual covering, okay? So 1 Corinthians 11, it says this, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. This is a church that he birthed. It was kind of a troubled church. The Corinthians were, Corinth was like a, I think it was a port city, but it was definitely like a party area. A lot of heathen, a lot of partying. And so when these people came to know the Lord, they were not sanctified people. Paul had to kind of work on this church. But he said this in verse 2, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I've delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman. As God is the head of Christ, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. So in that culture, men didn't wear head coverings. Women did. Is this making sense? But every woman who has her head covered while praying or prophesying disgrace... Uh, I'm sorry, every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. That's talking about her husband. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved, which would obviously be disgraceful. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought to not have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, the man was created for the... The man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. Therefore, women ought to have a symbol or a sign of authority on their head because of the angels. Let me read that part again. Therefore, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority over her head covered because of the angels. The reason why Paul is saying all of this, you get down to the point, he's saying basically, if I can paraphrase it, Women, I'm trying to help you out and protect you from fallen angels. That if you're covered by your husband, you'll be protected. Did y'all hear me? If you're covered in the church, you'll be protected. See, there's an element of spiritual protection. But in our culture, there's very little understanding about authority. There was a pastor that I spent some time with. I really love and respect him. He's been in the ministry for, I mean, probably 50 years and he told me this. It was just the two of us. We were having lunch, and he told me this. He said, Scott, he said, he said, it's not possible, 
to really truly pastor people in America anymore. He's got his pulse on it because he talks to ministers all over the nation. He said it's not possible to pastor people anymore. And he said because of this issue, rebellion. He said that people view it, a church like a democracy, everybody's got to say. That's concerning. I believe one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons for the lack of spiritual authority and power that a lot of places have is because they're not properly aligned and pro not properly understanding authority. A lot of people just do their own thing. They're independent. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do. They don't want to be told, no, we're not going to do that. If they want to do it, they're just going to do it whether you like it or not. They're rebellious. And because of that, God, how many knows God cannot bless rebellion? Satan is all over rebellion. Satan's nature is to be lifted up with pride and be rebellious. But let me read a couple things and then I'm going to bring this to a close. Because we have such powerful enemies in these latter days, I don't underestimate the enemy. We're dealing right now with end time spiritual forces. We're dealing with things that you read about in the Bible taking place in the last days. That's what we're dealing with. And because we have such formidable enemies, we need to avail ourselves with the protection that God has provided. That's why I've always been big on having a covering, but that's why I've really pursued the issue to make sure that I have the right covering and I have that covering really firmly established and I'm in good relationship. And I love uh, one person in particular. I love Brother John Davis. And he's ordained my wife and I and he's our covering. But I talk to him regularly. Get advice. As a matter of fact, he just recently gave me some advice we need to get together about. But he, he's saying, you know, in these latter days, you need to do this, this, and this. But I cherish his advice. And I honor him. He comes in here and speaks for us. But I would not do anything that I felt would upset my spiritual covering. I wouldn't do it. I want them to be pleased with. I want them to be comfortable with the way things are. In Matthew 28, 18 Christ said this. He said, all authority has been given to me. Christ said to me over heaven and earth. He said, all authority. But we all understand this principle. Authority flows down. For us to have any authority at all, we have to be under authority. Otherwise, you're disconnected. And what I'm seeing in these latter days is I'm seeing a lot of people really dishonoring the, the body of Christ. And they, they're disconnecting from the local church. They're dishonoring, disrespectful to local pastors. And God's never going to bless that. Ephesians 1.22, Christ is the head over all things to the church. But you have to understand that means that we have to have a proper godly honor and respect in the authority that's been invested in the local church the apostles and the prophets and the pastors, etc. Christ has invested his authority there. 
You know, before I move on from this, because I feel this is such a big deal, I, I don't know why I'm preaching this so strong, but as I prayed this week, this is what the Holy Spirit gave me. I mean, it was clear. And I really feel this is a big issue. But let me say this. There was one, uh, there was different interviews that during the days of the Brownsville Revival, different obscure sometimes interviews that would come up. And not everybody has seen all these interviews. But I saw an interview with Steve Hill that really stuck with me because of something he said in this interview. They were asking him about why do you think this, that, and the other is going on. And listen to what he said because it really, it caught me because I, I really wasn't expecting him to go there. I was thinking he was going to be talking about all the prayer and all that was going on, you know, before the revival. And all that's very important and that played a role. But he said this, he said, you know what? He said, Pensacola is a military city. And he said, a lot of the people that's in this revival, a lot of people in this church have military in their family. And he said, they understand authority and they understand being under authority. They understand how to take orders. He said, when the pastor here said, this is God, we're going for it. They said, yes, sir. And they went with God. Y'all hear what I'm saying? You know, in other countries, in particular in Israel, it's required. It's required that people go through the military when they get out of school. I think we'd have a lot less problems in America right now if, if all of us had to do that. Because people would understand authority and they'd, be under, they'd understand that when somebody in authority says no, it's no. And this is the way it's going to be. And they wouldn't buck that. They would start understanding I'm not going to always get my little way. But anyway, uh, Hebrews 10.25 talks about don't forsake assembling yourselves together. There's groups now, and now because of, of the media, you know, it's all over YouTube, all over different places where people post things. But there's all these fringe groups that they get some kind of little esoteric knowledge that maybe a lot of people don't have. And they get lifted up with great pride. They're so much smarter than all of us, Brother Zach. And then they get out there real rebellious. They won't go to any church, submit to any pastor because they're so much smarter than everybody else. They get their little groups together and they talk so negative about the church, so negative about church leaders. And they act like the church is like the great whore Babylon and they won't even come into a local church and submit. Great deception. But people are forsaking the assembling of themselves together. They won't humble themselves and submit to the greater body of Christ. I felt that that's one of the things I was doing when I was driving to the last conference I went to because there were so many great um, leaders in the body that was there. I was so honored to be able to sit under their ministry and have some of them pray for me. But it's a way of, of submitting to the greater body that we're not all independent little groups. You know, some people are just very independent. They just do their own thing. There's no, that type of person will never really have kingdom authority about them. In the last couple things, Luke 7, 1 through 10, this is the great scripture to point out this point, is this. You know, the centurion had somebody sick. One of his servants were sick. And he needs to send for Jesus. And 
as Jesus was coming. Now the centurion is a military man. And he, before Jesus comes to his house, Jesus was going to go to the man's house. But before he got there, the centurion sent and had somebody tell Jesus this. Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. He said, I understand authority. I know that you're a man of authority. Remember, Jesus said, I won't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. Unless I won't say anything, unless I hear the Father saying it. Jesus was a man under authority. And the centurion said about Jesus, basically, I'm going to paraphrase, but he said, I see you're a man of authority. You have authority with God. And he said, I too am a man of authority being a centurion. And I understand that I have people over me that tell me do this and do that. And I do it. And I have people that are under me that I tell them do this and do that. And they do it. He said, therefore, master, just say the word, it'll happen. And Jesus said, I haven't seen any faith like this in all of Israel. He said, go back and tell him his servants healed. And he was healed that very moment. But that centurion understood authority. Sadly, I think today a lot of people view authority, true authority, strong authority. Because how many knows authority, if it's really from God and it's real authority, it's strong. It's strong. And people don't like authority, and so they view it as being oppressive and controlling. And they want to shirk that off of them. They don't want authority over them. All right, Matthew 24, 12. As we move into the end times, this is what I want to close with is this. Jesus said about the last days, he made predictions that we're seeing all of them come to pass. He said, a nation will rise against nation. In the Greek, that's ethnos against ethnos. That means ethnic groups. So there's great racism. How many sees great racism today? Ethnic group against ethnic group. Kingdom against kingdom. Great persecution against Christians. How many are seeing great persecution against Christians today? All the things he predicted, but here's what he said in Matthew 25, 12. He said, lawlessness will abound. What is lawlessness? Lawlessness is a rejection of authority. You wonder why? Because it's the end times. Why is it that people... All of a sudden, you're getting like this hatred toward cops because they represent law enforcement. And the spirit of lawlessness, which is Belial, the spirit of lawlessness is abounding. People want to sit in a classroom but say that teacher has no authority over me. They want to go to a school but say that principal has no authority over me. I'll do whatever I want. In their home, my parents aren't going to tell me what to do. Parents, you better deal with that now and break that in them. Raise them in the ways of God. Get that out of them. But anyway, they want to live in society, but they're basically like there's no president, there's no buddy that's going to tell me anything. <clears throat> it's rebellion and lawlessness. I've said this jokingly, but it's sad. But I mean, people... You know, a cop says, freeze, lay down, and then they want to rush the cop, and then they get shot, and they want to act like they're a victim. I mean, friend, that's stupid. Come on, let's just be honest. 
If a cop points a gun at me and says, lay down, I'm laying down, man. <laughs> man. I mean, it's like, anyway, I, I'll get myself in trouble if I keep going with that. I'm being recorded, so let's just move on. But the rejection of all authority is lawlessness. And you're seeing that against this president. You're seeing that in our society. You see it in the media. You see it in the entertainment industry. The rap artists that celebrate, you know, running around shooting at cops and things like that. It's just lawlessness. So what is God wanting us to do? He wants us to submit to God-ordained authority. True submission, just like I talked about earlier in Ephesians with the wife submitting to the husband, it's willing to submit. You know, it's just simply asking permission and then being obedient without a bad attitude. And understanding we're not going to always get our way. There's times that I just haven't got my way. That's okay. Total submission. Here's another one. We've got to be totally submitted to God's word. We're going to have to really love his word. We're going to have to love the truth. And we're going to have to be completely, totally submitted to the word of God. No matter how much people try to go against the word, we're submitted to the word. Because you know something Derek Prince brought out? He said, the father gave Jesus all authority. But Jesus said, I will only judge by the word. Do you, do you see that? So all authority ends up going back to what God said in the word. Also, we've got to completely forgive everybody that's wronged us. We've got to be willing to utterly repent of all sin. Quit rebelling. Quit bucking up against God and repent of all sin. Have our homes in order and be in right relationship with the greater body of Christ. Really understand authority, being under authority, and honoring authority. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and pray. If we can get my wife back out here to help me. I felt such a strong presence of the Lord in the worship, and I felt that coming into the word of the Lord tonight. I believe we'll carry over into the altar time as we pray for people. But there's a strong presence of God. But the reason for that strong anointing is because the Bible says that God will confirm his word. I believe tonight that what I've preached is the word of God. I really do. And I also believe that it flies in the face of this culture in America. A lot of rebellion. So as I pray tonight, I just encourage people to really think about it. Are your homes really, truly in order the way God would say they're in order? How's things in your heart? Are you really under authority? Are you submitted to God? Are you submitted to his word? Are you submitted to a local church? Are you submitted to that church leadership? Really think about it because as long as people are in rebellion... They're wide open to the enemy doing what he wants to do. I don't want to live my life. Think about it for a moment. As my wife's coming, think about it for a moment of having your house locked. Everything's locked. There's a dangerous person outside, but yet you open a window and remove the screen. Everything else is locked. That's what I'm talking about. People that have rebellion in their life, they basically have a wide open access point to the enemy to come in 
and destroy. Until they shut that through the blood of Jesus, really repent. It's not just a matter of saying, Lord, forgive me, and then going out and continuing to be rebellious. That's never going to work. When people really repent, okay? Let's go ahead and shut down recordings and pray. But Lord, I just thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the awesome power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray for every one of us here. I thank you. I believe that, you know, River of Life is a special place and people are real receptive to the word of God, more so than probably some other places where this could be preached. But Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for them helping me to preach this tonight because it goes out to the greater body. It gets out through the internet. And Lord, we pray that this will get where it needs to go and accomplish what it needs to do. Lord, let it be powerful. Your word will not return void. And Lord, we stand on that promise now. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. So can you go ahead and just play that iPod and